Okay, um, Dr. Sachs, nice to meet you for the first time. Oh, let me unmute you. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nice to meet you. Uh, okay. There. Yep. Unmuted. <clears throat> nice to meet you too. Okay. And Dr. Rao, nice to meet you as well. Same here. Thank you. And good to see you again, Dr. Hellman. You too, Steve. It's awesome. Great. Thank you. So if you could each start out by just giving us a one minute version of what you've been doing for the last 15 years and a little bit of background about yourself and uh, that would be great to get us up to speed. If you want to go uh, first, Dr. Hellman, then Dr. Sachs, then Dr. Rao. Well, the last 15 years has been an amazing trans transition for me. I I was basically 15 years ago, I was overweight, had high blood pressure. And despite lots of training as a physician, I, I couldn't fix my own problems. And so it was basically out of selfish reasons that I started exploring uh, you know, vegan diet plants and, and looking at the research, looking back at the Framingham study and saying, yeah, the, the vegans in that study were the ones that were the healthiest. So that, that's how I made the transition personally. And then I was like, great. So I was able to make these changes for myself. And just to be clear, this is not something where I read a paper, went to a lecture and made all these changes. It, it literally took me years to make, make all these changes. Every year I got a little bit better. And tra transformational for me was, I was the medical director at Hippocrates Raw Vegan uh, Retreat in South Florida. And then for a couple of years, was an attending at uh, True North Fasting Center in Northern California. And, and just seeing it at both of those places, how if you can get people to stop eating the traditional Western diet, a lot of these chronic diseases go away. You know, my, my training in emergency medicine, you know, emergency rooms are great if you have acute emergencies, but if you have chronic diseases, I mean, typically I would see patients who would be on 10 different medications and it's not like, oh, you're on 10 medications. I'm going to pick that 11th medication that's going to fix all your problems. No, the, 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 the transformative approach that I've seen is, is actually to change what you're putting in your mouth and other lifestyle approaches. And, and I would say getting board certified in lifestyle medicine has been amazing too. So thanks, Steve. Thank you. So, um, so looking back over the last 15 years, um, I was in a transition uh, starting in actually the year 2000. I, after finishing my residency in Massachusetts, um, came out to the promised land of California, too many years in Michigan and Massachusetts, and I needed to move to the where the sunlight was and um, came on board as a faculty member at UC San Diego um, uh, shortly thereafter. Um, spent my first few years here as an academic, purely uh, doing several different diet cancer intervention studies. And then about 15 years ago, had the opportunity to help launch the UC San Diego Center for Integrative Medicine, which has now become the plural Centers for Integrative Health. Um, so we now have five separate centers and um, I direct two of them, Center for Integrative Nutrition and the Krupp Center for Integrative Research. And um, about, um, uh, well, around that same time, um, uh, we were able to obtain a very large gift from Richard Krupp that helped establish the, the latter center. And, um, 
and it's ushered in um, a really robust research program that I've had the privilege to direct for this time, uh, looking at uh, diet and also natural products for a variety of chronic um, uh, health challenges. And, um, and it's amazing uh, if you have funding to support studies, you'll discover that even in a large and in a large medical center, there are a lot of folks kind of quiet in the closet a little bit about their integrative medicine or nutritional food as medicine interests who will come out and reveal themselves. And we've discovered that we have allies in just about every subspecialty across our medical center. You name it, we have folks who we're funding to do projects and, um, and, so, uh, and we're running a number of our own the last few years, uh, I've shifted my focus, as many of us have, to COVID um, and uh, have been running uh, three separate uh, randomized clinical trials looking at medicinal mushrooms in two of the studies and in one uh, Chinese herbal formula that was used in Wuhan as treatments for acute COVID and also for um, immune enhancement of individuals um, after vaccination to see if we can make the vaccines work better, more safely with fewer side effects and with less need of vaccination on, over time. And um, uh, two of the three studies have been FDA approved for investigational new drugs, uh, as they call them investigational new drugs. If you call mushrooms drugs, okay. <laughs> um, Chinese herbs as drugs, <laughs> it's sort of silly. Um, these are all multi-center trials with sister campuses at the University of California. And it's been an all-consuming passion and um, just an incredible um, opportunity. And um, we're now looking at uh, possibly moving also into research on long COVID. Thank you. Dr. Rao? Uh, 15 years ago, I was a practicing internist in a local practice, which uh, we saw about, I don't know, 50,000 patients as a group. But long, I kind of very quickly became very frustrated at the lack of ability to change um, and heal people. So I went and I did acupuncture training and I became a functional medicine doc so that we could you know, go after root cause. So with that, I started practicing more of an integrative, holistic lifestyle-based medicine going after root cause, which obviously leads me to plant-based diets and things that are um, so uh, important for the, for the whole immune system. And now I am. Um, I started my own practice um, called Shakti Health and Wellness Center. We have two offices, and I am um, very. Uh, we published two books. I published a book on body called Body on the on Fire with uh, tips for patients. Wrote it with my co-author Monica Agarwal, who's a cardiologist whose personal journey was to beat rheumatoid arthritis with lifestyle changes, and she has done really well. And now I continue to see patients, I lecture, I teach uh, at local universities and um, do community-based learning sessions and, you know, just try to pass on the word of how amazing lifestyle medicine is and how amazing plants are for our overall health. Great. Thank you very much. So if someone said to you, I don't want to listen, I don't want to read the books, I don't want to watch The Real Truth About Health. I don't want to watch two hour lectures, but um, I have two minutes. I'll listen for two minutes. And you were going to give someone the best knowledge you had in two minutes to protect their health for the next 50 years. What would you say to someone? What would be your two minute summary 
of the most important information you have about keeping them healthy and protecting them from disease for the rest of their life. If each of you could answer that, that would be great. If you want to go, uh, Dr. Hellman, and then same order, Dr. Sachs and Dr. Rao. Sure. So I've got two minutes. Basically, what I would say is you have a choice. You can choose to get all these chronic diseases that people get in this country when they get old, or you can focus on longevity, preventing getting old, decreasing your biologic age. And the way to do that is to eat plants, avoid processed foods, exercise, decrease your stress, and get plenty of sleep. And the choice is yours. And, and no one, the, the, the medical system is set up it's currently designed to get you to, to do the disease model. But my point is, forget the disease model, focus on prevention so that you don't have to spend time in the hospital. I've worked in the hospital for years. You don't wanna be in hospitals. Thank you. Oh, what he said. Okay. No, seriously, no, seriously, yes. But also I would, I would say that um, to add to that, I'd say, Choose wisely the things that you bring into you. Cultivate <clears throat> warm, caring friendships and, and relationships um, and um, um, develop um, a spiritual connection. Bring in, bring in healthy ideas and learning. Um, bring in clean air, bring in clean water and bring in healthy food. Make sure that all the things that you bring in that you choose to come into you are the optimal health and then give healing things back to the world share with others help others and make that your main focus not with the idea that you're doing this in order to to help yourself or enrich yourself but nature has a way when you give good things to other people of helping open you to receive good things and that way you're creating health in yourself and the world around you thank you I think I think that um, you know we practice sick medicine in this, like Dr. Hellman said, and we sick care, and we want to move into well care, and I want to push people into not just being absent of disease states, not having hypertension or not having diabetes, but also to thrive, which is pushing them in a direction of wellness. And in order to thrive, we have to nourish something like our microbiome. We have to nourish our parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest system, which combats all the stressors that we have in daily life is stressful. We have pollutants, we have processed foods, we have toxins, we have mental stress, we have traffic, we have so many things that can so if we focus on healing our gut microbiome and supporting our parasympathetic vagus tone with things like plant-based diets and lifestyle changes that are sleep promotion, uh, mind-body connection, relationships, when we eat, how we eat, um, also our connections and our service to everyone else, our, our givingness to others, it's going to start to balance that scale. And it's going to be similar to charging our battery when we are talking about our iPhone. When our battery starts to go down, we all panic. And what we want to do is recharge our battery so we can all live this life that we've imagined and dreamed about and age gracefully. So I would just say nourish, nourish your, um, and simply nourish your gut microbiome, do the things that will help it thrive. Thank you. Um, as a follow-up to one of the things that was said, 
Um, when you talk about relationships, do you just say that to be nice and friendly and, and warm? Or are you saying this is really a, an actual scientific thing that having healthy relationships is going to affect our health? Or is it just, you know, it's always nice to have relationships. And in the and so one, is it really have a health benefit? And two, in a world where there's so much content on our computer and our TVs, it seems easier to not have relationships than in the past when you were forced to. So what can people do who want the benefits um, and of, of, of healthy relationships, but they kind of are not in a work environment that creates it, they're out of school. What, what is your recommendation for people that want to have nourishing relationships? And again, is this a health benefit or it's just a nice thing? Anyone can answer that. Um, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, and uh, there's no doubt. I mean, in a sense, both of, both of the things that you said are true, but there is no doubt that strong relationships are critically important to our health. And uh, the more connected we are with other people, it's 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 almost like on the, in the macrocosm connection with others. It's also connection of the parts within us. And the more integrated we are internally and externally, the better off we're going to be. Um, there it reminds me of a study that was done years ago of a community in Pennsylvania. I forget the name of the town that had really strong social support and pretty atrocious diets. And yet their risk of heart disease was established to be about 50% lower than most others who had similar or you know maybe even better diets and it pointed to the critically important role of social connection. How do we foster that if we're disconnected as so many people are? It's not easy. Um, we try and do that in our work by bringing people together in groups for, um, for meals, for cooking together, for doing things to, to help work on similar health challenges. Um, probably others have, have equal or better ideas about how to, how to do this, but it's a real challenge. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, jump in. I would say, for the first thing is, um, before you, I, I mean, I think we're designed as humans to, to need connections. I think that's just the way we're wired. But what I've also seen is it's a lot easier if you find yourself not having a lot of connections, the first thing you want to do is self-compassion, the relationship with yourself. I would work on the relationship with yourself first um, and be before, you know, uh, going out. But um, yeah, I mean, what I've seen in terms of improving people's health, whether it's um, at Hippocrates or at True North or at the IV Center and now Spinaga Wellness, it, it doesn't matter where, where you are. If you're in a community, if you're learning in a community, it's amazing. I mean, I find that patients learn just as much from other participants in the programs as they do from physicians or other people in healthcare. And, and, it's, and it works both ways. When I give lectures to the public, I learn I learn from from the great questions I get. So, so we're we're designed to be connected, and that's that's what relationships are all about. So, yeah. 
I think the old, um, the longest study for um, adult development at Harvard showed that the strongest connector for longevity and living a good life was related to the relationships that we have. And so this is scientifically based data, it helps us age better, it helps us have um, disease free states, it helps us just live a better life. So relationships are very important, but the key really is, is it doesn't matter. It's not the quantity of relationships, it's the quality. So only a handful of really strong relationships with spouses or parent and child or neighbors or anything that's that's really a strong connection is very important. And I think another study showed that it doesn't take more than four or five different solid interactions a month that can really help, which was very detrimental during COVID. We saw, at least I saw, I think it was nationally seen how healthcare health went down when people were isolated. And um, we really suffered with a lot of metabolic issues and inflammatory conditions when, when we were kind of boxed into our homes and only could connect through Zoom. And there's a personal vibrational sense that people get from interactions, not just Zoom, but we have to do whatever we can. So even if you can connect with someone on Zoom and you can connect with a weekly phone call with someone. I mean, a day, uh, some sort of a strong relationship is the key, but now there's more groups coming out. I love the community environments. There's, you know, where you can give back to communities. You can help the elderly as a community. You can do service as a community. You can get together for potlucks as a community. All of them are starting again, and it's very exciting. And I think people are enjoying, like, so, you know, the birth of the spring kind of thing. It's like a new wave of, of embracing um, this joy around our community. And like I said, it doesn't take that much, maybe just a handful of relationships. So it definitely is more than just, it's a nice thing. It's definitely a proven scientific fact that relationships matter. Great. Um, I would like to ask you a question that's come up a lot at this conference. Um, we talk about a whole food plant-based diet as being beneficial. And then there's one little nuance. And the question is two questions is one, does that mean we should have raw seeds, nuts, avocados, and, and olives? And question two is, should we have oil such as hemp, flax, chia, walnut, avocado oil? And there are some people that are like, absolutely no oil at all. Some people are like, keep the fat low. People like Brian Clement, Gabriel Cousins, Anna Maria Clement, Udo Erasmus are like, you can have oil. Um, so I'm wondering if you can tell me what your thoughts are. And again, are your thoughts based on anything specific or how did you come to those conclusions? I'd like to hear from each of you on that. We could, uh, again, go um, uh, Josh Gordon and uh, Josh, Dr. Saxon, Dr. Rao. Yeah, so I'll go first. My opinion based on the research that I've seen is you don't want to add oil to your diet. Now, now if you're watching here today, and you have a, a typical American diet, you know, I'm not saying you have to stop everything right away, uh, but, but I am saying based on the data that I've seen, the within minutes of consuming oil, you're doing damage to your endothelial cells and that damage will last for many hours. And it doesn't matter if, if it's oil that you're adding to your salad or you're cooking in the oil. So in general, I am not a, fad, a fan of added oil. And to your first question, uh, fats. Yes, you, you wanna have some fats in your diet. And if you're eating whole foods, there will be some fats, but you don't wanna go overboard because just as the oil will cause the endothelial damage, 
high fat, if, if you're eating three avocados every meal, you're going to have that same damage to your blood vessels. And, and we're as healthy as our blood vessels are. So, and, and I understand that this is not necessarily a popular answer because guess what? We're, we're designed, our brains are designed to be addicted to salt, oil, and sugar. The, the three things that get added by the food industry and the processed foods that most, most people, including myself, were, were addicted to. So yeah, that's, that's my opinion. Thank you. So um, I share some of that, but also have a slightly different take. Uh, I know that uh, Caldwell Esselstyn in his studies has demonstrated pretty convincingly that heart disease, uh, uh, coronary artery disease uh, can be arrested using a whole food plant-based diet that's devoid of added fats and, um, and most nuts. <clears throat> On the other hand, I also know that, uh, that there is a role for judicious use, limited use of added fats and certainly of, of seeds and nuts um, for certain things. So for example, fat is needed uh, to ensure the absorption of vitamins A, D, E, and K. Um, and, and there are other, uh, uh, other things where, where fat either is a, an important, like added fat is an important uh, nutritional factor or, or satiety factor. Um, but I think when we use, when we use added fats, we should be limited. For me, the concept of a whole food plant-based diet means not to use extracted parts of foods, but to use whole foods. So as much as possible, we do want to get our healthy fats from the foods themselves. Um, but I do think also a small amount of added fats can be helpful for some people and certainly for people transitioning to a healthy diet. Um, I don't think that if you look at it, that there is all that much evidence that, um, that certain healthy fats uh, that have a optimized omega-6-3 ratio, low in omega-6, high in omega-3, or certain monounsaturated fats, that these are uh, uh, that harmful for heart or heart health or endothelial health. And um, olive oil has been used, for example, since antiquity, you know, pretty safely. Um, but there are a lot of added fats that are new to the market or that have uh, very high levels of omega-6 seed oils that I think are quite unhealthy and are probably doing a lot of damage, not only to circulation, but to the immune system, to neurological, um, to other, other systems as well. Thank you. I agree with both of those points. I'm a little bit um, more moderate in terms of the fat consumption. I don't think fat is necessarily good. The oil consumption should be less is more definitely, but I do think whole foods, the, the, the fats from whole foods, uh, nuts, seeds, avocados, unless you have um, strict coronary artery issues, I am more promoting some sort of intake of, um, you know, the, the good oils from the foods as opposed to um, directly, you know, inhibiting all oils altogether, because I do think that our hormones come from cholesterol and we need a little bit of fat for our brain function, as well as for our hormone management. And we do need it for different functions of the body. So um, I'm a little bit more tolerant of uh, less is more concept of the fats, as long as they're whole, you know, good quality fats. Okay, thank you. Where do you all stand on fasting? Is this something that should be incorporated into our health plan? How often, how long? What are your thoughts on it? 
I'll, I'll jump in first. I think fasting should be introduced to everyone if if they're interested and, and, and want to prolong their life. And but to me, fasting is like exercise. It's like you can do a little or you can do a lot. You can just restrict eating to a 12 hour window or you could actually do, you know, a three or 10 day water fast. Everyone's different. And, and what I love is with, with my two degrees in biochemistry, the changes with fasting are almost identical to the changes when you exercise. So, so yes, get, find out about fasting and, and do what fits into your lifestyle. Thank you. Yeah, I am. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Um, yeah, I was going to say that um, uh, we've incorporated a number of our um, uh, research programs, clinical programs, and our educational programs, increasing focus on the importance of fasting. Um, and uh, there's other terms for it other than fasting, uh, uh, time-restricted eating, for example. So I think it's a really healthy thing for people to abstain from eating for 12 or more hours overnight, just as a regular practice. I don't know whether that would be called a fast or not, but um, it's a way of limiting food intake and, uh, and helping uh, even when following a vegan diet to get some of the benefits of developing a ketone diet simply, simply by allowing yourself to begin to cannibalize your own bodily fat stores. I think it's a very cleansing kind of thing to do this. And, and I think more research is needed on the different types of fasts, whether it's like one 24 hour fast per week or a four day fast or a two week fast. I think we need a lot more research on this. There's evidence in, um, and I think we were talking about this earlier um, that Walter Longo has come up with at USC on the benefits of fasting before, during, and immediately after chemotherapy that it may actually help chemotherapy and cancer patients to work better with fewer side effects. Um, and, um, and I think there's, there's tremendous potential there to, to, to look at this for a lot of different disease states for preventing them and also therapy for them. Mm -hmm.